I want to I want to talk to you about a few things. I'm not going to do this repeatedly, but I do think uh, I I want to make you aware of some things so that you, if people ask you about it or say what's up with whatever, um, as you know, there's been quite a furor uh, on social media relative to the girl with the toes, and then there's been uh, uh, another individual, Stone Moss, who had his ankle healed. He's a pastor actually, and uh, people have said crazy stuff uh, about him, which is, is uh, tragic. Um, so I called him last night. I said, hey, are you doing okay? And, and want to make sure you're all right. And he said, well, you're getting more than I am. And I said, well, it doesn't matter. I'd rather they just directed it my way, but I want to make sure you're okay. And, and he is, he's, he's very happy, but he's the guy that had his ankle healed. He has the x-ray. He showed it on Sunday to his church. And, and thanking God for his healing and, and how miraculously God did that. Um, but for whatever reason, people have taken him on and, and they've taken on uh, the girl, Chrissy, in Joplin, which has been really, really unfortunate. She's uh, had a lot of trauma in her life and it breaks my heart uh, to see people do that uh, towards her because her miracle is real, it's genuine. Uh, people are saying, well, if it's genuine, why aren't, you, why aren't you doing anything with it to publicize it? There's a couple of reasons that I want to say to you. First of all, um, I'm less interested in proving to people what I know God did than I am in protecting sheep who are vulnerable. And I'm, I'm going to protect sheep first. That's, my first concern is for her. So... You know, if that bothers you, I'm sorry, but if you're in trouble, my concern's for you too. So I think we have to have that heart. We have to, we have to discern what's going to be right, what's going to be appropriate. Debbie is down at the Joplin campus visiting with her and meeting with her and, and some of the others who are part of that miracle talking with them. The news leader asked if we would uh, comment. They had followed things on social media, and I've, I'm just going to say it as kindly as I know how to, um, they have had a repeated history of not only a general bias against evangelical Christianity, but a targeted bias against James River. I just felt like, you know what, I'm not going to talk to somebody, to an agency that has a history of not being um, unbiased. And I can, I can point to a bazillion examples in that. I'm not, I don't have time to do that, but I could privately give those to you. So, at the same time, we've had two national news agencies who have contacted us and said, would you do a story? And so we are uh, in the process of simply assessing um, Chrissy and the, and the circumstance I want it to be good for her. What I want to assure you of is, it's real. It's real, it's real, it's real, it's real. So, um, it is a legitimate miracle, and you know, we can provide the kind of proof that would be necessary. People have asked, have you seen pictures of the toes? I have. So I've seen the picture. Uh, of the toes, and uh, she was going to be fitted for a prosthetic, and so they are prosthesis, so they have the molds and all of that uh, that would be available. Um, 
again, the issue is we've got to care for people first. And I, uh, I am happy if people are able, but honestly, the pastor, just think of this, the pastor gets up, shows the x-ray, shows the boot he had, shows he's healed, jumping up and down, and people are attacking him. So, you know, you say, well, proof would prove. You know, if you believe that, you haven't read the Gospels lately. We need to get back into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, they saw all kinds of things and didn't believe. Um, here's what I think we have to remind ourselves of, that people in the Gospels who questioned the miracles of Jesus and the people in the, in the Gospels who questioned who Jesus healed and why he healed them and the people who remained uh, unconvinced of the supernatural uh, were all always pretty much the same group. It was the Pharisees, right? So uh, I think we just have to be careful. It shouldn't surprise us that there are people who are today positioning themselves as antagonists to the miracles we're seeing. Now, let me say one other thing. The, the news leader is, has intimated, based on my comment uh, last Sunday, that you know we're going to see resurrections. And I, and I know for some of you, it was like the guy has lost his mind. Um, so they're going to do a follow-up story on that comment. I would hope they'd wait till Sunday and hear the whole message. But for your consideration, because I know some of you are uneasy, and you're like, wow, that's like crazy stuff. Acts 26.8, this is Paul. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Now, come on. That's Paul. And you know who he's talking to? He's talking to wicked rulers. And he's saying, why should you? Well, if he's saying that to them, how much more to us would he say that? Now, now think of this. Matthew 10, 8. Jesus said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. You say, you say but Wait. That's to the disciples. But you know what? Down in that chapter, you're going to read, aren't you more valuable than sparrows? And God's numbered the hairs of your head and how he cares for you. And you're going to say, oh, I love that he loves me like that. Well, no, that's to the disciples. That's not for you. <laughs> Listen, if you're going to take a scissors and start cutting out the Bible, you're going to wind up with something that's not the Bible. Listen, why should any one of us consider it incredible that God raises the dead? And I'm going to tell you some stories on Sunday that will help you to understand God raises the dead. And we're going to do it from the Bible, and we're going to do it from the newspaper. So we're going we're gonna to get both, okay? And you're going to love it, and you're going to walk out of here saying, Oh, wow, I can't wait to see it. Rather than pastor's lost his mind, you're going to say, huh, I think you might be right. So, okay, we're going we're gonna to approach it that way. <laughs> and listen, I understand, I understand not everybody gets there at the same time, but, but honestly, we have seen a thousand miracles in one week. Come on. Come on. I, I mean, so... I want to say a couple of things on miracles just to help you. Um, miracles are not only received by faith, they're lived in by faith. 
And so what we have to be careful is we're not, we're not afraid to have the doctor evaluate anyone who's been healed to confirm the spine is straight, to confer, to confirm that the ACL is there and has been repaired, to confirm the cancer's gone. We're not afraid of that. But I would caution people in this way. The first thing to do when God touches us is to celebrate what he's done and enjoy it. That's a, that's a good thing to do. And let me say this, and we just, I read you a testimony tonight. Not every miracle will be validated by medical science. Okay, so let's, let's take the man with the, with the lens. They're like, the lens isn't sitting right, but you can see really, really good. We're not going to do surgery on that. Did God heal him? Hey, he was 2200. Now he's 2025. What would you say? You know, I, I'm just simply saying, whether medical science validates it or not, then if you're, if you're better... You know, here's the thing. You could go to the doctor and, and he could tell you that, you know, you have plates in your, in your back or rods in your back that make a certain movement impossible. And now all of a sudden you're going, you're saying, look what I can do. And I just want you to check out my back, see if the rods are still there or the bolts are still there. And, and they check out your back and they're like, yep, they're still there. But if you can move and you don't have pain, yeah. I'm just saying that that can happen. Now, you're like, well, would you give me chapter and verse? I can't. You would say, well, can you explain that? I just say, hey, God, God touched you. And if the upshot to you is you're moving and you don't have pain. I mean, now, does that mean that the rods won't, he can't remove, he may remove your rods a week later. Who knows? God may, may touch you in that way. What I'm saying to you is, you can't say, if, if the man can see out of his eye, you, does that mean that the, the lens isn't attached in the way the doctor would do it? Does that mean he wasn't healed? And the answer is no. But that interaction could potentially cause you to doubt what God has done for you. Now, now think about this for just a minute. Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So he didn't say my faith healed you. He said your faith. So there are times when your faith and my faith is super important. What I'm suggesting to you is that, you know, in many cases, not every case, and it depends on the person, most people are going to be better served to live with their healing for a month and let their faith strengthen around that. Then go to the doctor and you'll be in a place with your faith and with your healing to accept whatever the doctor says. Now, here's something that through the years I've seen, and I learned this when I first became a Christian, that, that Satan, you know, the enemy can steal your healing. You can lose your healing. Now, listen, Satan tries to steal everything God does. Remember this parable of the sower and the, and the seed, and it falls on hard hard paths, and the birds come and pick it up, and Jesus said that's what Satan does. He tries to steal the word from people. He, he, what the enemy wants to do is he wants you to doubt every work of God in you and for you. 
So he wants you to doubt when you get saved. Oh, I wonder if that was really real. I mean, I really felt it in the moment, but I don't feel it today. He's going to want you to doubt that you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Doesn't sound like a tongue to me. Does it sound like a tongue to you? Listen, that's, that's the enemy. He's going to want you to doubt that you heard from God, that God spoke to your heart, that God's going to take care of that problem. He gives you a peace in your heart. Man, you're feeling like God has heard me. He's going to do it. And then the enemy wants to steal that from you and rob that from you. I remember when, when I was in college, uh, my roommate had, uh, his dad was tied in with a uh, electric utility that was building a power plant where, near where I lived. And so we both got on with the labor union. And uh, what that meant is we made five times minimum wage. So we were, and I mean, for a college kid, that's like we were making bank. It was as good a summer job as you could have. So I'm working, I'm working for the labor union, and, and that summer... And uh, on a Thursday night, I was out playing softball with a group of friends. And one of my friends, big guy, I was playing first base, caught the ball. He was out. Uh, either he didn't see me or, or he was being ornery, but he mowed me down. And I mean, my arm instantly, I was in massive pain. So, I mean, I can't move my arm. I can't lift my arm. I've either separated my shoulder. I've torn my rotator cuff. I don't know what it is. But, I, I mean, I can only hold my arm like this, and it's, it's horribly painful. Next day, I go to, to the uh, job site, and I'm trying to work with one arm, and the foreman comes up to me, and he says, hey, listen, what happened to your arm? I said, well, I heard it last night. He said, well, if it's not better Monday, don't come back. So I went to the doctor that afternoon when I got off work. The doctor said, you know, you've torn it up in there. We'd have to do more x-rays, and, you know, we can send you here and there to have that done. And, you know, really had no help except give me painkillers. So on Sunday, I go to church. And at this point, I'm a Christian for about a year. So um, I go to church. It's a little agey church. They have this traveling evangelist named Linfield Crowder. If you're an old timer, you might remember him. I've had some people tell me they knew of him. So he's doing this message on by stripes were healed and drawing. He's a very good artist, draws Jesus strapped to a post and does the magic marker thing, you know, stripes on his back and then says, if you want to be healed, come forward by stripes you're healed. So um, I didn't know it was going to be a healing service, but I was sure glad it was. So I go forward and he lays his hand on me, prays for me. I feel heat in my arm. He says, can you move your arm? I start moving my arm. No pain. I'm, I can windmill it. I can do anything with it. So um, I'm getting ready to, to go back to my seat. I'm so excited. And he says, uh, young man, I want to say something to you before you go, before you go back sit down. He said, you know, you can lose your healing. And um, he said, so here's what you want to do. You don't want to lose your healing. And he said, the enemy will challenge what God has done. And the way to work is you might try to lift something or you might have a moment when that pain feels like it's going to return. Here's what you do. In that moment, you thank Jesus that he's healed you and you rebuke the enemy for trying to challenge it. So, you know, I'm like, okay. So I go home and we're having a Sunday dinner and, you know, at our house, you know, a big family and always invited people over. And, and my mom asked me to go get some milk and we lived at a dairy farm. And so we drank 25 gallons of milk a week. I mean, you got cows, why not? And, you know, if it's not pasteurized or homogenized, you're not going to put on weight with that. You can drink it all you want. We, we never drank water. We never drank anything but milk. We had milk with everything. And, and it was wonderful, the cream and the whole milk, all that. So anyway, they had two refrigerators downstairs, and they had those old glass milk 
jars that were really huge and had them, you know, and so my mom's like, go down and get one. So I go down and, and I'm going to pick one up with my arm because I'm going to test this thing out. I'm going to be like, come on. So I go to pick it up and all of a sudden pain shoots up my, my arm and I'm like, wow, it took my breath away. I can remember it. Right away, I remembered what the evangelist said. I said, Lord, I know you've healed me, Jesus. And right now I rebuke the enemy and I will not let him steal my healing. You know what I did? I picked up that jug. I carried it upstairs. I was fine. I went to the, I went to the job site. I kept my job all summer. Listen, I'm just telling you, that is, that is something that is true. And a wise Christian will understand that. Some of you, what has happened in the week of power, you just need to, you just need to say, Jesus has healed me. If he's healed you, he's healed you, right? So uh, I encourage you to be careful that way. There's one other thing that I just want to say people say, and, and I'll address it really quickly. Some people say, we well, you know all this talk about, you'll hear this online, and it sounds very sophisticated and sounds very knowledgeable, but it's, it's completely wrong. They'll say, all this talk about healing is too much focus on what God does rather than who God is. Christianity is about God, not what he does for you. I'm like, that's the nuttiest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Christianity is about the good news. And the good news is there was a God who loved me so much. He sent his son to die for me. Christianity is completely about what God has done for me and for all of mankind. That's what Christianity is about. If he didn't do anything for us, we would never know him. I mean, when he reveals himself, it's not for him. He already knows who he is. When he reveals himself, it's for us. It's that you and I might know him. It's because without a revelation from him, we wouldn't recognize him, right? And God's name encompasses who he is and what he does. Jehovah Jireh, he's the God who what? He provides. Jehovah Rapha, he's the God who what? He, he heals. Jehovah Sidkenu, he's what? He's the God who is so righteous and he gave us that righteousness that we stand for him, in front of him and when he looks at us, we're clothed in Christ's righteousness, right? Jehovah Shammah, the God who by his presence comes near to us. It's what he's done for us. And I need both. I need to know who he is, but I'd never know it unless he revealed. I'd never know who he is unless he revealed it to me by what he does. It's what he does that tells me who he is. So, you know what? I'm, I come before him. Enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. That's what he's done. And his courts with praise. What's that? Who he is. So, what he's done tells me who he is. And right now, he's showing himself as the healer. It's not the only way he's showing himself. We're having record salvations. So we could say he's showing himself as the savior. 
That's not all he is. He's the God who is filling people full of his spirit. Some of you are feeling closer to God than you've ever felt in your whole life. Jehovah Shammah, he's the God whose presence comes near to us. And when I recognize his nearness, I live a whole different life. I live more. I live closer to him. I live, I live hearing his voice more. All those things are, are part of it. Well, you get the idea. So um, there are a number of ways that God receives glory. He gets glory because of who he is, but the predominant way in Scripture is he gets glory by what he has done, and he gets glory when you and I tell people what he's done. So when God saves, when God heals, when God does miracles, and we don't talk about it, we've denied him the glory that is his. I'll just briefly, I want to talk about this. I'm not going to get through the whole message, but that's okay, because I, I really want to challenge you on the on the whole idea of testimony. That you and I, when we tell what God has done, we're revealing to people who he is. Testimony does several things. Testimony gives praise to God. In Psalm 78, several examples of testimony. I'll open my mouth in parables. I'll utter hidden things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. The way you teach the next generation who God is, is you do it by telling him what he's done. If you want to teach somebody about who God is, Tell them what he's done. Begin to talk. If you want people to know God, talk about what he's done. Hey, can I just tell you, you know what God did? You know what I saw God do? You know what God did for this person? You start talking about it, and what you're doing is you're beginning to show them a God who is near, a God who cares, a God who is a very present reality in our life. He's not detached. He's not distant. He hasn't wound up this thing and let it go. No, he's very involved. He is involved in every person's life. Life, and he shows up in power when we pray. He's a God who answers prayer. Testimony is so important because testimony gives praise to God. Number two, testimony gives hope to people. It gives hope. In verse 5, look at this. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God. Testimonies expose people to the possibilities of what God can do. Maybe somebody's never thought God could heal this. God could do that. When you share a story of your miracle or somebody else's miracle and you talk about it, you're bringing hope to people because you're sharing the record of what God has done and what God has done in the past is an indicator of what God will do in the future. You say, how can you say that? Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did yesterday he can do today and he will do tomorrow he is the same God and when I talk about what he did in the past I'm setting prophetically the table for what he's going to do in the future some of you have family members who don't know the Lord just talk about what God's doing you know what 
You'd be wise if just every time I read a testimony, you just summarize it. Man with 20, 220, uh, 2200 vision went to 2025. Baby with polysorbate 80 allergy that could kill him, not curable, healed. You just start talking about it. You just start rattling them off. Listen, you hear enough testimonies on every single week. You hear about 12, because about six on Sunday, six on Wednesday. 12 testimonies a week. That'll keep you talking for a long time. You want to watch? You want to watch what'll build faith? You know what I've done to, to share Christ with people? I talk about testimonies. I, I was in a, in a place, I almost had them shouting the other day. I mean, they were, the, the one person was jumping up and down, and I don't even know whether they're a believer or not. If they are, they, you know, but I mean, hey, they were jumping. Because testimony has that effect on people. Listen to this, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this again later, so you're going to hear it because I love this. So you can tell if I really love an illustration because I tell it several times. But on July 17th, 1859, Charles Spurgeon, arguably one of the greatest preachers in the history of the church, spoke a message entitled, The Story of God's Mighty Acts. In the, in the message, he declared how the miracles of the past have the power to shape the present. Listen to this. When people hear about what God used to do, one of the things they say is, oh, that was a very long while ago. Spurgeon says, I thought it was God that did it. Has God changed? Is he not immutable? And that's a theological term for he doesn't change. Is he not immutable? An immutable God, the same yesterday, today, and forever? Does that not furnish an argument to prove that what God has done at one time, he can do at another? Nay, I think I may push it a little further and say what he has done once is a prophecy of what he intends to do again. Whatever God has done is to be looked upon as a precedent. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. What did Jesus do in the Gospels? Lots of things. He's still the same Jesus. He's still doing the same things. In fact, Jesus said this, greater things than I've done will you do. I mean, Jesus says, I've got even more I'd like to show the world, and I'm going to show it through you who are following me. But we surely, if he's talking about greater things than he's done, we surely ought to be able to do the things he's done. You say, why not? Why, why haven't we seen that? Because we've forgotten that what he did in the past is a precedent for our own day and for the future. We've forgotten. We've, we've failed to believe that God is a God who does miracles. We failed to believe that he's a God who raises the dead. I mean, hey, in the, in the Bible, nine different people raise people from the dead. Nine times. That's telling you something. And they weren't all Jesus. Jesus didn't do all of them. It was Peter. It was Elijah. It was Elisha. We could go on with the different people. I'm just saying, you know, listen, I'm, I, I'm, I'm using that as an example because for some people, you feel like that's super extreme. 
But Jesus said, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. He said it. We see it. Spurgeon says, whatever God's done in the past is a precedent for what God will do in the future. That it's a, a prophecy. All I'm saying is adjust your faith. Adjust your faith. You know, listen, when we started in the series on Acts, I read you about Azusa Street. I read you about people who had their arms grow out, who didn't have an arm, arm grew out. I, I, I'm just saying, and I said at that time, we're going to see creative miracles in this place. Toes. That's a start. I'm just simply saying, I mean, what I'm, what I'm trying to get you to do is to believe that anything is possible. That's all I'm saying. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. And in case you didn't hear it, he said, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. And then in case you didn't hear that, he says again in the next chapter, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. And then in case you didn't hear, I mean, you get the idea. In three chapters, five times, he makes that statement unqualified. And the last time he says, ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. You know what? I mean, I've, I'm, I'm living that. I have a joy the world cannot give and the world cannot take away. I don't care what they do. I'm just telling you. I and not only me, I don't want to make it about me. It's not just me. It's been a bunch of people have been praying and fasting and asking God, not just before the week of prayer, but certainly before the week of prayer. God, show your power. Do what we've never seen. And he's doing that because he wants every single person in this room to have the kind of faith that believes God for big things. Listen, don't wait you need faith to exercise it. Don't wait till your back's against the wall to try to develop a faith walk. Develop it now while the wind's at your back. You say, you say, but what if I pray for somebody and they're not healed? Then pray again. And then you say, but what if it doesn't happen? Then find another person to pray for. And you know what? Just keep doing it. And pretty soon what will happen is your faith will change. And you begin to see God use you in a way you never imagined. I can tell you this. The more people you and I pray for, the more people are going to be healed. I, I, and healing is, let me, let me just reassure you. Healing is simply a vehicle on the way to a great awakening. I mean, that's, that's, this is a precursor. This is getting you ready and me ready for what God wants to do to reach this area. I got a beautiful testimony. I'm sharing this with permission because I would, I would not share something like this without permission from um, the person. But a grandfather sent this to me. This is from one of our teens who on Thursday was slain in the spirit at one of our campuses and had a vision. He was down for about two hours. When he came up, he wrote this to his grandparents in the middle of the night. 
something really wild happened to me at church on Thursday night. <laughs> yes, it did. I've got to tell you about this crazy vision I had while I was totally out of it on the ground. Seriously, God showed me something amazing. So in my vision, I'm walking down this road, right? And there's this sign that's all like, quote, now entering Springfield city limits, end quote. But get this, the place was a total desert with bones and city ruins all over the place. But then out of nowhere, these clouds started forming and it began to rain. But it wasn't just any rain. It was raining fire. And when the fire rain hit a femur bone, a person would just like appear out of thin air. Some of them were all dull and gray, but others were like golden and shining bright. And guess what? The same thing happened to the city ruins. I love this line. I even saw a gold James River church banner, <laughs> which was super cool. When the gray people walked into the gold buildings, they turned gold themselves. And when the gold people walked into the gray buildings, those buildings turned gold too. And when the gold people touched the gray people, the gray people turned gold as well. And this just kept happening over and over until the whole city was shining and golden. It was seriously the most epic thing I've ever seen. What he's seeing is a great awakening. That's what he's seeing. I'm telling you what, the clouds are forming. He's right. They are forming. And the Lord is going he's gonna move on this area. He's gonna move. And when he does, he's gonna transform this area. He's gonna transform Joplin. He's gonna transform North Springfield. He's gonna transform the area. We desperately need it. We desperately need it. But then he's gonna transform beyond the region. There's coming a great awakening. When you have a great awakening coming, you're going to have people try to stop it. When Jonathan Edwards, when he preached sinners in the hands of an angry God, and, and people were grabbing onto the pews for fear they'd fall into hell, and then next thing you know, his wife's slain in the spirit, and people are shrieking, and things are going on, and, and there's an, a furor in New England, across New England, and people were using the social media of the day, which was letter writing, and they were writing letters to get him thrown out of his church. Because they said, that's not God. God can't. But you know what? It was a move of God that swept New England. I'm just telling you, we're, you can look at, you can count off the years. It's time for another great awakening. Our country needs it. We're praying for it. It's what we've been praying for, right? All that to say, I believe it's coming. I believe God's going to answer our prayers. I believe this is all in context part of something much bigger than this. It's not about James Rivers. It never has been. Not about me. Really not about you. It's about God showing up in a place and saying, I'm going to breathe on this place. I'm going to touch these people and do something so spectacular that it will ignite a fire that will burn across the area and bring an awakening, turning people to God. That's, that's what this is about.